So I'm going to have Hannah come up and, and introduce our next guest speaker because he's, uh, I got to know him actually through her. Uh, she's, uh, he's a good friend of hers. Hey, guys. This time I really will be brief. We won't be here until 10 p.m. Um, but no, I just want to, it's my honor to introduce to you um, Jonathan Tremaine Thomas. Um, he's a good friend and um, a faithful servant of the Lord. Um, JT is from a little bit of everywhere, actually. Um, he's ministered in a lot of cities throughout the U.S. Um, he speaks at a lot of conferences, both on racial reconciliation, but also on the Holy Spirit's power to fill us, as well as um, revival. And so he has been mobilizing prayer as well as even working with inner city um, youth. He was working with inner city youth in um, Nashville, Indianapolis, and a couple other places. But he's from North Carolina, correct? Okay, let's see if I'm getting everything right. Um, right now, he's the director and the founder of Uproot Media, which is a Christian media company here in St. Louis. And he also um, helped spearhead the Ferguson response, which is something that I was involved with during the Ferguson um, kind of uprisings and, and stuff that was going on. So the Lord has brought JT to St. Louis, and right now he is um, working with a church called Southgate in South County, as well as he's involved with Gateway House of Prayer um, in South County. And so I'm excited for us to hear from him this morning. And... Uh, it's been like a long morning already. <laughs> um, so I just want to invite you guys to give him your full attention because he hears from the Lord. So we're just going to, we're going to see what the Lord has for us today um, through JT. So JT, come on up and I'm going to pray for you really quick. Oh. That's okay. I, I do that all the time. Like on the week, on the weekly, I knock those over. <laughs> all right. Let me just pray for you, brother. Holy Spirit, um, I thank you, God, for your servant. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for open hearts in this place. I thank you, God, that we don't have to make anything happen today, Lord, that you are more than willing to fill us, to speak to us, to change us, and transform us in this place. I thank you, God, that you are more than willing to work in our midst. Yes, Lord. So, God, right now we yield ourselves to you, God. We submit ourselves to you, Father. I ask, God, um, that you would anoint JT right now, Father. Anoint his words anoint his thoughts. I just pray against any attacks of the enemy as he speaks, Father, any confusion or lack of clarity or distractedness. I just rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for focus and a clear mind. God, we thank you for peace on the inside as he carries your word to us this morning. Come Holy Spirit and have your way. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Pastor Vaughn. Wow. What an... Yes, I can feel good about myself. I've been in your church about three minutes. I'm already knocking stuff over. But uh, praise God. No, it's truly an honor to be with you this morning. And you guys have such a wonderful pastor. I'm getting to know him over the time. Come on. Praise God. You know, I'm going to take off my coat. Is that okay? Is that right? Okay. I came, I was born in the missionary Baptist tradition where you show up in a three-piece suit, you know. You got to look good when you're in front of saints, you know. So uh, the Lord's breaking that off of me. But (laughs) all that to say, here we go. That's nice technology, Pastor Vaughn. I like that. (laughs) Oh, this is awesome already. (laughs) 
Well, it's a, it's a joy and an honor to be in front of you this morning. Pastor Vaughn asked me to speak to you about the church as community. And I love to tell stories. I probably won't tell too many stories today because I really feel that there is revelation that the Lord wants us to, to enter into today concerning this word community and concerning the realities of God's heart uh, for what that's supposed to look like and what that's supposed to be. Um, anybody know the song, I exalt thee, we exalt thee, you know, it's kind of like an, an interchangeable. Some people say, I exalt thee. Then others say we exalt, but can we just, just one little refrain of that verse? I'm not really a singer. Hannah's the singer, but you know, I'll do my best, but can we just together? We exalt thee. We exalt thee, we exalt thee, O Lord, we exalt thee, we do exalt you, Jesus. You are the exalted one. Thank you, Father, that we get to enter into the chorus of heaven. And even in these moments, Father, we pray that you would release the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to lead us into the place of corporate exaltation. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, Somebody knows a little bit about Tozer in here. He said, true religion confronts the earth with heaven and it brings eternity to bear upon time. True religion confronts the earth with heaven and it brings eternity to bear upon time. And with that reality, as I consider the church as community, We have to first consider the heavens. And so my first point, if I have points, I have many points, but my first point would be. In asking the Holy Spirit to give us insight into the fellowship in the heavens. Just as Jesus was an earthly reflection of the Godhead in the temporal realm, the church is to be the earthly reflection of eternal realities. Let me say that again. The church, somebody say the church, church. is to be an earthly reflection of eternal realities. In John 14, if you look with me at John 14, if you have your Bibles. Sorry, no PowerPoint this morning. You just got to use your godly imagination. John 14, verse 7. It says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. 
And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. Somebody say, show us the father. Sorry. Now, like I said, I mean, I kind of come out of tradition where you got to talk to me. You know, it's call and response. So if I say, can I get a witness? I I just want to release you right now. You know what I'm saying? See, see, if 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 you hear something that you're like, man, that's that's good. That's good, JT. Then I want you to know, I don't know how y'all do it at Liberty, but there's Liberty. Come on. So so if I say something that's good, see, in the, in the church, the preacher be preaching and you're sitting there listening and he says something. You go, oh, my goodness, that's so good. I got to stand up. You know, you just got to stand up. It's like the witness. You just can't see some people might. Oh, whoa. Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? So I just want you to know there's a there's there's liberty at liberty. I'm kind of crazy, but. And I'm also a street preacher, so that's probably like I'm kind of raw and rough around the edges. I can act reserved and be reserved, but am I okay just to be me today? Is that all right? Okay, praise God. John 14, 7. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. This is what Philip said. And Jesus says to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? So Jesus, in this scripture, we see, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. What I did, my father did. What I said, my father said. In other words, if you have had an encounter with me, you've had an encounter with eternity. In the same way, just as Jesus revealed the father, every aspect of holy community should reveal the son. Our fellowship together in the earth is an extension of the fellowship of the heavens. Let me say that again. Just as Jesus revealed the father, every aspect of holy community should reveal the son. Lest we become like Philip, we've come to the church, but we've not had encounter with eternity. If, if, if our community does not reflect the Godhead and does not reveal the son, what we become guilty of is people who come to church Sunday after Sunday, people who come to Bible studies, people who engage in outreaches, but they've never had an encounter with Jesus. So the foundation of the church's community is that everything we do, whether it's outreach, whether it's worship, whether it's small groups, everything we do reveals the son, Jesus. John 17. Shows us that our fellowship. Here on the earth is an extension of the fellowship that's already happening in the heavens. John 17, verse 20. You're probably familiar with this passage. But it's Jesus's last prayer. I do not pray for these alone in verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through the word. That they may all be one. Somebody say one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be That they may be just as we are one. You see, the Godhead, the three in one exist in perfect community. God did not create uh, 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 um, uh, or set up a system. The uncreated created a system on the earth where everything comes in pairs. It is almost impossible for us to exist on an island. 
Because God has made us in his image and in the heavens, the God, the three in one, that right there is a perfect community that Jesus, by his blood, invites us into. So these are just foundations to understanding community. The maturity of the church can be discerned by how well we embody John 17. The maturity of the church, not just a church, but of the body of Christ can be discerned by how well we embody John 17. Let me break that down for you. First John seven. Or first John verse five or chapter five. A lot of scripture. I got you turning this morning. You guys okay? You with me? First John five. Verse seven. This is a controversial verse because it's translated really only the New King James version shares it this particular way. But first John five, seven, it says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the father, the word and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit, the water and the blood. And these three agree as one. So there's the witness in the heavens, the community in the heavens, the father, the word or the son and the Holy Spirit. Then there are three that bear witness to that oneness on the earth, the spirit, the water and the blood. And historically in the Levitical priesthood in Leviticus eight and Exodus twenty nine, you see that when a new priest was ordained, he was first washed in the water. He was very intricately and very carefully washed. Then they slaughtered an offering. They slaughtered a calf or a lamb or or an animal on the offering as an offering to the Lord. And they took the blood and they would smear blood on his ear, his toe and his thumb. And then he was anointed with oil. They would pour oil on him. And that oil represented the coming anointing of the spirit that would ultimately ultimately be on the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which is Jesus, the great high priest. So this was all just a this was all just like a, a forerunner, kind of a type or a shadow of the coming priest who would inaugurate a whole new priesthood, which is the believers. So the spirit, the water and the blood. Charles Spurgeon said in his sermon called the three witnesses, this is Charles Spurgeon's words. He says, our Lord himself was attested by these three sacred witnesses. These three remain as standing witnesses to him of all time. The spirit of God, omnipotent in the realm of spirits and able to guide the human will without violating it has enlightened men's darkened minds and made them see that Jesus Christ is God and Savior. Overwhelmed by the love of Jesus, they have yielded at once to his commands. A formal church with a minister to stand up and talk officially and a people who come and go mechanically bears no witness to religion, but rather creates infidels. But where we see what some have called real Methodist fire, this was during the the Great Awakening, What we see is real Methodist fire. (laughs) Now, I'll just pause where I grew up. You don't necessarily associate fire with Methodist. 
I mean, I'm just saying. I, I, I mean, I'm just saying, I don't know. Something happened. I'm not sure what happened. But anyway, he says, what some have called real Methodist fire and others the old Protestant enthusiasm, or rather where we see the Holy Ghost attended by marvelous conversion, deep repentance, singular illumination, the angelic and general love we have. The angelic and general love we have indisputable evidence of the divinity of our faith. In other words, what he's what he's saying is the spirit gives us real indisputable evidence of our faith. Secondly, he says the next abiding witness in the church is the water, not the water of baptism, but the new life. Somebody say new life. The new life implanted in Christians, for that is the sense in which John Master had used the word water. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto eternal life. And then he says, where the spirit of God comes, he creates in the new man a new nature. Somebody say new nature. Pure, bright, fresh, vigorous, like a fountain. And the fact that this new nature does exist in multitudes of men is a standing evidence that the gospel is true. For no other religion makes men new creatures. No other religion even pretends to do it. They may propose to improve the old nature, but none of them can say, behold, I make all things new. So to understand the church's community, we have to understand that we are a new creation and that we've been born into a community in the heavens. The foundation of our understanding of what we've been born into and our identity dictates how we live and walk out community in the earth. I have a new nature. I am a new creation. I've been born of the spirit washed in the water and I passed through the blood. Now, let's talk about what happened when we passed through the blood. This is the foundations conference. You might say, hey, man, we we understand this stuff. This is so elementary. But this is a reality that has somehow been lost in our generation. The reality of what happens when we pass through the blood. We're born. Into a family. Somebody say a family. In Ephesians, you see in Ephesians one, Paul says, uh, for this reason, I bow my knee before the father from whom every family in earth, in heaven and earth is named. He talks about every family in heaven and every family in earth being named from the father. In Ephesians, actually in uh Acts 17, if you look at that, Acts 17. We're just going to, we're going to talk about this blood thing for a second. The blood. Acts 17, verse 26. You guys have been listening to me for a little bit. You might be bored. So I want somebody to stand up and read Acts 17, 26 for us. Well, what did he just say? He has made, do that again. He has made from one blood. Everybody say one blood. Okay, keep going. Every nation of men that dwell on all the face of the earth and the 
verse 27 and 28. Thank you. Let's give it up for our brother. This is key because communities, if anybody's been in city or urban planning, urban planning, you know that communities are zoned. They're 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 where you live. Uh, O'Fallon, St. Charles, where, wherever it is, you are living in a place where someone determined the boundaries and the borders and decided that this is going to be a community and this is what its name is going to be. And this is what its charter is. And this is how the taxes work. And this is all the different thinking, and the, the different things that are attached to that community. And, and what happens is people begin to move and they take that identity. Where do you live? I live in O'Fallon. Well, in Acts 17, it says, first of all, you've got to understand when we're talking about community, where your where your origins are. We all descend from one blood it says from one blood, every nation and nation in the Bible is ethnos or ethnic group. Every ethnic group has descended from one blood. And then he says, and God has determined their pre-appointed boundaries In other words, God is the one who decided where the the Africans would live. And he's the one who decided where the the Germans would settle and become Germans. God has set people. He always sets people and people groups to place. But something interesting happens because that one blood is in Adam. In Adam, we're born in 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 in, in humanity. We're born of a, of a particular people group, a particular uh, ethnos. But something happened when the blood of Jesus entered the equation. And that is Ephesians two, verse 15. Somebody look at Ephesians two, verse 15. We're born in Adam. We have a certain ethnic lineage, a certain cultural expression or heritage. We have a certain communal expression based on the boundaries that we grew up, the the, the area, the geographic region. We have these various cultural things. I mean, I came out of Western North Carolina, and though I may sound pretty are pretty uh, um, indistinguishable. I was just talking to Steve, Mike and Bob, right? (laughs) I was just talking to. Steve and Mike, and they were like, man, you don't sound like you're from Western North Carolina. But believe it or not, if I was to turn off my distinguished uh, uh, dialect, this is how we talk where I'm from. We talk just like this. I'm not playing. This is I mean, when I go back home, it just comes out naturally. You probably you probably never heard a black guy talk like this. You're like, oh, my goodness. You know, when Duck Dynasty was like exploding, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to move back home and make a reality show called Black Nicks. <laughs> I better not see it on TV. It's copywritten. Or, no, I'm just kidding. There are black rednecks. Seriously. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. I, I was one of them. Anyway, the bottom line is. Something happens when we pass through the blood. In Ephesians 2.15, it says, for he himself is our peace. 
And he has made the two one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Jesus comes and all of the all of the division that that we see present in in uh, in our natural man, in our Adam, in our flesh, based off of where we grew up and how we process life and our cultural preferences, all of these things that that actually help uh, 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 hinder holy community in the earth. Jesus says, I'm going to take all men. I'm going to take everyone into my flesh. I'm going to abolish their, 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 their struggles. I'm going to abolish their prejudices. I'm going to abolish their misunderstandings and I'm going to form one new man, a new creation. That's why first Peter one you don't have to turn there. It says, for you have been born again. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you have an identity crisis and you say, well, I've been like this my whole life. I was born this way. That's why Peter says you have been born again. Well, I inherited this from my dad. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was an alcoholic. My great grandparents were alcoholic. I just inherited it this way. I have diabetes and my mama had diabetes and my grandmother had diabetes. And John says, you must be born again. Because when you're born into the lineage in the family of God, old things pass away. That's why 2 Corinthians 5. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, I'm making you work today. Thank you. I know you've had a rich morning. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, therefore, because of what Christ has done, what we just read in Ephesians 2, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. What does that mean for us? It actually means what it says it means. It means we are new creatures. We're all together different. We are aliens and strangers in the earth. We are we are we're this weird, bizarre thing that looks like a human, but it's actually Christ in humanity. Which means our communities begin to reflect our origins. Our communities begin to take on the attributes of the new creation reality. And, and, and basically, uh, Jesus said it this way. In Matthew 12, 46, you, you can turn there if you want to, but you don't have to. In Matthew 12, 46, Jesus reiterates how much we need to understand that we're a new creation in Christ. He reiterates how now that we've been born of God, born again of imperishable seed, how it actually separates us from our earthly identities. In Matthew 26, 12 or Matthew 12, 46, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. 
Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus replied to him, well, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, first of all, if my mom called, <laughs> my wife picked up and said, hey, Jonathan, your, your mom wants to talk to you. Well, who's my mom? First of all, my mom would be like, boy, I carried you for nine months. I fed you. I clothed you. I came into your room when you were crying and I was sleepy and you don't know who I am. But I have to believe Jesus wasn't just trying to upset his mother and his brothers. It wasn't like he was mad because she wouldn't give him an allowance. You know, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is intense. Maybe you don't know anything about this or maybe you do. I have a friend, actually, I just met Hannah's friend here, Amy. Audrey, she's from Columbus. Her pastor is a good friend of mine, and he almost went to jail about maybe six, eight years ago, rescuing a young Muslim young lady named Rifka Berry. Rifka had a powerful encounter with Jesus in, in a Muslim country, and her family put a bounty on her head. They said, if you convert and you follow this Jesus, we will behead you, her own father. She fled. He helped her escape her country and helped hide her here in the United States while there's a bounty on her head. Her immediate and extended family searching for her. Folks, don't you know that in that moment she understood that her natural brothers and sisters, that she had stepped out of the flesh and into a family of God that was worth giving her life for? Here in America, we haven't had to pay that kind of cost, but maybe you have. Maybe when you came to Christ, you lost friends, you lost you lost family members. Maybe you lost some things. But the bottom line is the reality of eternal uh, uh, of the eternal fellowship in the eternal family in the heavens is that when you pass through the blood, you leave behind your earthly alliances, your political allegiances, your sociological allegiances. None of that defines you anymore. And you are defined as a son and daughter in the kingdom of God. See, this is important for us to understand because somehow we've we've said yes to Jesus, but we've maintained the ability to bring all of our earthly or Adamic allegiances into the community of faith. And those things have caused division. I was on the uh, radio with with Dr. Vaughn and we talked some about this, about how, you know, it's interesting. And even in a political like an election year, like what we're in today, because of those allegiances, black folks and white folks can get into a room together and we can agree in, uh, about Jesus only to a point until we start talking about politics. Maybe it's not black and white. Maybe it's you in this room. You guys are good, but let's not talk about the political arena because I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat. And hey, we're going to butt heads. It's not that we have to be the same, but the reality is God desires to restore our mature understanding of what holy community is. And in order for that to happen, 
We've got to let go of our earthly allegiances. I would even take it further and say, let go of our earthly idols. Because we've been born into a family. We have shared origins. Everybody say shared origins. We have a shared citizenship. In Hebrews 11, verse 13, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. You're turning there, so I'll let you turn. Hebrews 11, 13. All these people, who are these people? This is the, the great, one of my greatest and most uh, uh, just revered. I love this passage of scripture, Hebrews 11, which talks about all of those who, who lived these holy lives and, and, and fought for the promises of God in their generation in their own way. And in Hebrews 11, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they, when they died. They did not receive what was promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. They understood that because they've been born to a family, that their families, their family residence, their jurisdiction was in the heavenlies. It says in verse 36, some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. I'm here to tell you today that the church as community, the holy community is a community that the world is not worthy of. It's a community that's willing in the face of persecution, in the face of laws that seek to silence the church, in the face of a culture that is running rampantly against God, against the the, the truth of God. They don't want to hear the word of God. The community of God is a community that can endure beatings, floggings, being sawn into. It's a community that loves not their life unto death because they realize that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some of you are going, well, what are you talking about, man? I just wanted to come to a small group. (laughs) Folks, I'm here to tell you that you've been born into a community that started eons before you ever stepped foot in this church. Liberty Christian is just one in the long line of the saints, the prophets of old, the martyrs of old. They paid a price for us to be here today. You're part of an eternal community. That reality has to grip us every day. This is why in Hebrews 12, if you flip over, it talks about what it looks like. What have we come to? Have we come to a bunch of tables with some nice food today? No. It says in Hebrews 12, 22. No, you haven't just come to a nice little foundations conference, but you have come to Mount Zion. To the heavenly Jerusalem. The city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
When you came to Christ, that's the community you came to. First Peter two nine. Don't turn there. It says you are chosen people, a royal priesthood. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So through the blood, we pass through, we come into a family. And then we get anointed as a royal priesthood in the earth, a priesthood. Now, remember, I started talking about how the Levitical priest was washed in the water, anointed or, or then they were smeared with the blood of the sacrifice. And then the oil was poured on as the anointing of the spirit. In the same way. We see the disciples in the book of Acts after they had received Christ, they, they had witnessed Christ ascending in the heaven. And he says, I'm coming back, but tarry here till you receive power. That same anointing has to come on the church in order for us to live in community. In order for the church to live in holy community, it takes God. (laughs) Because the reality is we can try to understand each other. We can try to love each other. We can try to do all these things. But God says, just stay here. This is the initiation of the first community. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going away. But hey, stay here till you receive power to actually love each other. Until you receive power to spread the gospel. So in the same way as the priesthood waited, they go through the process, the water, the blood, and then the oil of anointing. The, 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 the apostles are into a place tarrying. They're praying together. And suddenly, like tongues of a, of a flame of fire, the power of the spirit comes upon them. In Acts 2, 5, look at that. Acts 2, 5. I'll show you real quick. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation. Again, nation meaning ethnos, ethnic groups from every nation under heaven. So this is a multicultural gathering. When they heard this sound, the sound of people experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit says a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, skipping down to verse 11, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask, what does this mean? Do you see the miracle that happened at Acts 2? You have people who live in different geographic regions. They have different cultural expressions. They have different experiences with God. They have different uh, view worldviews. They have different political uh, views. They have different families. They have different color skin. They have different everything. They cannot understand it anything. They can't understand each other until suddenly the power of the spirit, the anointing of the spirit comes into the community and suddenly they understand each other. How is it that this Hispanic guy is speaking like a guy from North Carolina? How is it that Hannah is speaking in Russian? I don't get it. 
What does this mean? It means that God was setting the seal of sonship on that community. He was saying, you are my priesthood, a multicultural priesthood, a a, a priesthood from very from all over the world. And now I'm going to give you the power to understand one another. The church as community. In order to bear witness to the wonders of God, why did this power come? It says they were declaring the wonders of God. It came so that the church as a community, as a community could bear witness to the eternal realities as a community. Does that make sense? So it says the witness in order for us. To embrace and embody the constitution of holy community. We have to have the, the spirit's witness. And in order to embrace the, the, the to embrace the constitution. We have to know the family rules. Somebody say the family rules. As I come start to come to a close. Anybody know about that? I don't know about Pastor Vaughn. But you got to come to a close at least three times before you come to a close. The family rules, say that again. Matthew 5. If you look with me at Matthew 5. I'm just going to bullet point these. There are teachers much greater than myself who can really teach on this and break it down. But it's the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 21 through 48. In summary. The, 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 the way the community operates, this this community of new creation, this community of believers, this gathering. It basically says, first of all, don't murder one another with your emotions. Murder begins with your emotions. Long before anyone ever pulls the trigger. It starts with your your thoughts. It's a community where God says, I'm I'm, I'm judging your thought life. How did that person you didn't like the way they spoke to you the other day? Don't just tell your wife about it and get angry about it. It Says go to them. Be careful how we talk to talk about each other. If we have something against someone, be reconciled to them. Goes on to say, make peace with your adversary. So this is a community where we're not given to the, the, the worldly lies, the worldly things that fuel these hateful thoughts. God says, make peace. Be careful. Guard your mind. Secondly, in verses 27 through 30. Purity, thought, purity and thought, mind and deed is what I'm what I'm hitting on. Guarding our minds. Three, keeping the marital covenant. It's a community of family. It's a community where we fulfill our oath, where we model the bridal love that that Jesus has for the church, where marriage is strong. Where families don't fail. Fourthly, we keep our word. Verses 30 through 
37 is basically about keeping your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The church as a community should be the place where an external entity can say, let me call Liberty. And if Pastor Vaughn says we'll do it, it's going to get done. The church becomes reliable in a world that's completely unreliable. Number five, we do not defend ourselves. Verses 38 through 42 talks about turning the other cheek. It's basically saying, I, the Lord, am your defense. Your reputation is of no repute, no regard. I will be your defender. That means when the church comes under persecution, when people are writing articles about this pastor and that pastor and that ministry and this ministry, rather than us getting defensive and, oh, I got it right. I can't believe that they did that. How many times have you been on Facebook trying to resolve some major theological dispute that theologians and seminaries for the last thousand years have not been able to resolve? And somehow you're going to resolve it on Facebook. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Well, I'm just trying to be a witness. No, God says, listen, sometimes our witness, we're on Facebook or whatever social media trying to resolve something with other Christians. And we're actually not showing the world our love for each other. We're not operating as a community. He says, look, turn the other cheek. Go the distance for people. Somebody offends you. Somebody wants to take something from you, say, hey, how can I give you more? What else do you need? This is hard. But this is the reality of the mature church, the one that he's coming back for. Finally, in verses 43 through 48, it says, basically, love and bless your enemies. Love and bless your enemies. Now, one thing we know is that our only real enemy is Satan and his minions, the unseen, the spiritual world realm. But even somebody you perceive as your enemy, do you know the best way to deal with that person is say, God, how in the world can I bless them today? That's the constitution of the of the holy community. We bless our enemies. That means when I was at the Ferguson response in Ferguson as a community, even if I felt the pain, which I do, but even if I felt like the police were my enemy, then my response as a believer, I'm going to step outside of my ethnic pain and my ethnic identity. My response is, God, how can I bless the police department of Ferguson today? That's hard, but that's Bible. Somebody breaks into your home, robs you. You're going to be angry after your anger. Ephesians four, be angry, but do not let your anger cause you to sin. After your anger has been dealt with by the Lord, then you you go to the prison and say, how can I bless the person that robbed my house? Foundational Christianity. A lot harder to do than what we currently walk in. Look at verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Do you realize that this is saying one of the marks of the Christian community is that they are persecuted and they love it. 
It's actually a mark, a commendation of from the Lord when we endure various persecutions. As believers, I know that that's that's not like, hey, let's stand up and cheer and shout kind of stuff. (laughs) But, folks, this is the reality of the season that we live in. All over the world, there are Christians who are being physically persecuted for their faith. And we would be naive here in America to think that that same test will not come to these shores. The mark of the mature Christian community is that we know how to navigate. In times of blessing, in times of famine, in times of persecution. Peace really has been stripped from St. Louis for a season. That was just a test. Woe to the man who says that there's peace when there is no peace. Folks, things are pretty bad. But God has a holy solution. Amen. Amen. And he says the church will be the community that manifests the solution in the hour of crisis. Amen. He goes on here and he says. Verse 45, it says, pray for those who spitefully usually use you and persecute you that you may be the sons of your father in heaven. For he who makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. Verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. How we walk out the constitution of the Sermon on the Mount, how we walk that out is the mark that actually tells the world that we don't belong to the world. It's the mark of our sonship. Finally. Really, finally. First <laughs> Corinthians twelve twenty through six. If you turn with me at that. To 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 26. You all still with me today? The holy community. The church's community. Is a culture. Of honor. The culture of the community is a culture of honor. In 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 26, it says, but now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. Somebody say one. one. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So let's just stop right there. The members of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. That means within liberty, within even this community, the weakest person in this room, the weakest person spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever you however you define weak, that weak person is necessary for the stability and the strength of this entire community. Somehow in our in our Adam, in our flesh, we've not fully understood that because a lot of times we show preference to the strongest person. We think, well, you know, such and such, they just, you know, all they do is clean the bathrooms. We'll be fine. Liberty can exist without them. But if Pastor David is not here, oh, my goodness. No, he says that the success of this community is predicated upon the weakest. 
In the same way, you elevate it beyond just this congregation or this family, and it goes to the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Baptists. The bottom line is, no matter where you think they're weak, you need their weakness in order for you to have strength. Because we're one body. You can translate to ethnic groups. You can translate that to to political groups. You can translate that to the bottom line is in Christ, the weakest is as strong as the strongest. He says, no. Verse 23, and those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable on these, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. God composed the body to give greater honor to the part that lacks honor. If you've ever broken a a pinky toe, you know what I'm talking about. You can't see it. You take your shoe off. It stinks. There's no honor in the pinky toe. You might think you don't need the pinky toe, but as soon as you hit it real hard against a, a, a door jam or something and break that pinky toe, your whole body is in pain. Yeah. Ow! What's wrong with you, JT? I hurt my toe. Your toe? I mean, you expect me to be like that if I broke my leg, my arm, you know, something, something substantial. You know what I'm saying? Something with some honor. Some strength on it. But it's the toe. It's the little finger. It's, it's the little paper cut that hurt worse than the knife cut. Am I right? Or maybe it's just me. I can like really hurt myself and it's like terrible and it's bleeding profusely. And my wife's like, oh, my goodness. Oh gosh. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. It hurts, but I'm OK. But man, that paper cut right here on your finger. Every time you wash your hands, soap gets into it. You know what I'm talking about? That's how God comprised the body. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Folks, this is the reality of the church's community. God is inviting us into this place where we understand these foundational truths, but yet it radically, when when we move from just like saying yes with our minds and it becomes the way we operate day in and day out, it will radically transform the earth. We'll be a witness of the eternal fellowship in the heavens. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is good. Amen.